Welcome to the Word of God. We are studying the week of three Lent, or the third Sunday in Lent. Now, in the third Sunday of Lent, we are looking at three readings in the Scriptures. We're looking at Jeremiah, Romans, and John. Jeremiah, Romans, and John. Now, remember that the Psalms in the daily lectionary in the Book of Common Prayer, 1979, are listed above the daily readings, and you may read those in the morning and in the afternoon. But I'm not reviewing the Psalms. I'm just reviewing the three major headings, the Old Testament reading, the New Testament reading, and the Gospel reading. I hope that you're having a wonderful Lent. We will be looking at the third Sunday in Lent this week. Next week, we'll be looking at the fourth, then the fifth, then we have a very special week called Holy Week. More on that later. All right, let's begin by looking at Jeremiah chapter 6. Now, the book of Jeremiah is quite long. It's 52 chapters. Jeremiah is a major prophet. He is speaking to the kings of the south versus the kings of the north. Now, remember, Israel is divided into two areas, the northern kingdom, Israel, the southern kingdom, Judah. Jeremiah comes at a time where he's speaking to the kings of the south. And he is speaking about the problems that Israel is having dealing with the Babylonians. And so there is a tremendous amount of material in Jeremiah talking about the actions of the people and God's response to those actions. Now, obviously, we don't have enough time to go into great detail about Jeremiah 6, 7, 8, 10, 11, and 13 are the scriptures listed for this coming week. Please take your time and study them. Think about the context in the light of what Israel is doing as a southern kingdom, dealing with the nations around them. And God gives them a, an historical um, perspective that is, he is speaking about the nations around him and responding to the Israelites as to how they should respond to the nations and how they should respond to God. Let me give you some examples of that as we go through the lessons today. Chapter 6. Thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 9. This is on Sunday. They shall glean thoroughly as a vine the remnant of Israel, like a grape gatherer pass your hand again over its branches. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Already we have the hint of warning. Something is wrong. So what God does is he tells us something is wrong. He warns us. He tells us what to do. He encourages us to do it. But also if we don't do it, he tells us what he's going to do if we do not obey his word. To whom shall I speak and give warning? To whom that they may hear. Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. So they don't even want to hear the word of God. Therefore, I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. Pour it out on the children of the street and upon the gatherings of young men. Also, both husband and wife shall be taken, the elderly and the very aged. So we're talking about sin against God. We're talking about a warning. And he's asking the question, does anybody want to hear what I have to say? 
So the problem usually is in these major prophets that the people don't want to hear the word of the Lord because they've sinned against him. And see, when you sin against God too much, you don't want to hear what he has to say. Then we have chapter 7. There's evil in the land. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house, verse 1. Proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah, who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you into this place. You cannot continue to act like you've been acting. You've got to act according to the word of the Lord. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. So he warns the people, and you see this a lot in Jeremiah. He warns the people of falsely thinking that they are safe when in fact they're in grave danger. He tells them, verse 8, 5, if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you don't oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you don't go after other gods to their own harm, then, here's what I do if you do those things, then, or don't do those things, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. So God is totally in charge. He's in charge of what's going on. He's in charge of history. He's in charge of people's actions. He's in charge of judgment. He's in charge of salvation. Continue to read on in Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7, 21 to 34 on Tuesday, thus says the Lord of hosts, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the flesh. For in the day that I brought you out of the land of Egypt, verse 22, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifice, but this command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you will be my people. Now, again, back to biblical interpretation. You always want to interpret the scriptures in the light of the context of the people at that time. The original word went out to them. It didn't go to you, it didn't go to me. Secondly, after you've discern the context then you're able to say hmm is this word applicable to me today well not all of these words in jeremiah are but what is applicable for example walk in the way that i command you that it may go well with you but they did not incline obey or incline their ear but they walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward that's verse 24 so that's a general principle you want to obey the word of the lord you want to incline your ear you don't want to walk in your own counsel. You don't want to be stubborn. You don't want to go backward. So that's a general principle in the context of this historical, geographical, sociological, spiritual situation in Israel. Then we jump over to chapter 8, verses 18 to 9, 6. Jeremiah is grieving for his people. My joy, my joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. You hear the compassion. You hear the concern. You hear the, the desperation of, of Jeremiah and the sadness. Behold, the cry of my daughter of my people from the length and breadth of the land. Verse 19. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and with their foreign idols? The harvest passed is the famous scripture. The summer is ended and we are not saved. And so he's mourning 
for the people of Israel. Is there no balm in Gilead, verse 22? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? Why are people not better? Why is, why is there no healing? Why is there no salvation? And Jeremiah grieves for his people because he loves his people. Chapter 10, beginning at the 11th verse. So again, read the whole chapter, read the whole section. I think you will enjoy it very much. Try to make personal application. 11, chapter 10, 11 to 24. The gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. So all these gods that you're following and all these idols, they're going to perish. And then he says, it is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. Again, we're back to the creation. We're back to God creating. We're back to him establishing who he is. We're back to him establishing who he is as compared to the false prophets. When, when he utters his voice, this is God. There is a tumult of waters in the heavens and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. earth. He makes lightning for the rain and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. So he's sharing with them who he is and he's comparing himself to the false idols and he's basically going to say, why are you following false idols? They can't help you, only I can. They're dead, they can't even speak. They don't even, they don't even exist. Chapter 11, again, enjoy chapter 10. There's more there that I did not go over for the sake of time. Chapter 11, 1 through 8, 14 to 20. Hear the word of this covenant. Speak to the people of Judah and the inhabitants. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. So the prophet is saying, here's what God has told me to say. Cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant that I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. Listen to my voice. Do all that I command you. You shall be my people. I will be your God. Do you hear rep repetition? Now, if you followed us in Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, etc., you will see that this is a theme of the Bible. Listen to the Lord. Listen to his voice. Listen to what he's saying. Do not incur his wrath. And finally, chapter 11. Enjoy chapter 11. It's a beautiful uh, story. The ruined loincloth. The ruined loincloth. I don't have enough time to go into it, but enjoy it. Now, remember, if you have a study Bible... You may want to look at the bottom of your Bible will have notes to it. And these notes may help you to discern more accurately the interpretation. So enjoy reading Jeremiah. Romans chapter 4. Now we go to the book of Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. Romans chapter 4. We've been in Romans for several weeks now in Lent. And chapter 4... Uh, is a very profound chapter, and it's kind of difficult. In fact, 4, 5, and 6 is what we're looking at today, and there are a ton of scriptures that are great here. Basically, he's dealing with the idea of Abraham that's justified by faith. How can a person without Christ go to heaven in the Old Testament? Well, they're justified by faith. For if Abraham, verse 2, was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? It was counted to him as righteousness. So the reason that, that Abram, Abraham, was considered righteous before God, that is in right standing before him, was because he believed 
and he trusted and he had faith and that faith is what saved him okay so faith is counted as righteousness that second half of verse 5 all right blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin that's one of the wonderful things about God is when he forgives us of our sin verse 8 of chapter 4 okay now the promise of Abraham the promise in chapter 4 verse 13 following and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but, but through the righteousness of faith verse 13 so the law cannot save you remember in Galatians there's a lot of discussion about that we also see that in the early part of Romans righteousness of faith for if it is the inherent of the law who are to be heirs faith is known the promise is void now if people get saved and know God by obeying the law then why do we need faith the law brings wrath he says in verse 15 but where there is no law there is no transgression so we can't have transgression if we don't have law so why do we have law so they will know what's right or wrong but we can't keep the law the law brings wrath why does it bring wrath because we don't do what God says and then God punishes us for not doing what he says. So what's the solution? The solution is faith. The solution is faith in Christ. That's why he says in verse 16 of chapter 4, this is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring. Continue reading chapter 4. It is fabulous. Chapter 4. Now I love verse 24 and 25 it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord God raised him from the dead verse 25 who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification he was raised for our justification which means he was raised for us so that when we are justified in Christ chapter 3 of Romans we are saved now chapter 5 is just glorious so many so many scriptures here so many wonderful texts here. Again, there is so much here. I don't have time to go through them all. But as you read, read slowly and enjoy. Again, if you have a study Bible, look at the study Bible. And some of you may even want to look at cross-referencing the scriptures. If you have a Bible, that'll give you a cross-reference to that text. Since we've been justified by faith, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, chapter 5, verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a fabulous way to begin. We've been justified by what? By keeping the law? No, Paul says, by faith. And what happens as a result of that? We have peace with God through him. We've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So grace is allied with faith. We need grace in order to have faith. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because we are now in Christ. We now have hope. For while we were still weak, verse 6, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So Christ dies for our sins. Verse 9, since we have been justified by his blood, his death on the cross for us, and his shedding of blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? Oh, this sounds familiar in Jeremiah. How am I saved from God's wrath since I'm a sinner? through my faith in Christ and my confession of my sin. Okay? If there's no confession of sin and no faith in Christ, there's wrath. Why is there wrath? Because we are sinners. Why do we sin? It's part of our nature. 
part of the way we are. Here's what we want to happen to us. We want to rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we received reconciliation. Now, how did sin come into the world? That's verses 20, 12 to 25 in chapter 5. It came through one man. Who's the one man? Adam. And death came through sin. So Adam sins and all of his progeny receive the just reward of that sin, and that is they by nature sin. So we by nature sin. And what comes through sin? Death. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. So we're all sinners and we're born in sin. We do not sin when we at some age of accountability sin. We sin, we're sinners right from the beginning. Right from the beginning of conception. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, verse 14, who was a type of the one to come. But the free gift, he says, is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, that's you and me, through Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by his grace of that one man, Jesus, Jesus Christ, abound for many. He's the only one that could save us. And so by God's grace and the death of Christ and his resurrection, we can be moved from being sinners and have incurring God's wrath to being saved and justified and our faith in Christ and there have eternal salvation. In chapter 6, he says, what shall we say then, verse 1, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You and I do not have permission to sin so that we could have grace because God's grace is with us even though we sin. And he, his grace leads us to confession of sin and absolution. But by no means, he says, how can we who've died to sin still live in it? So chapter 6 is very much about our willingness and God's willingness for us not to walk in sin because we've been united with him. We are a new person. And I'm not saying that we should cease from sinning, but that we should sin significantly less because Christ raised from the dead, verse 9, will never die again. No longer has death dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, the life he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So that you're, in your daily living, you're going to sin. But you are dead to sin and you are now alive in Christ. So he says in verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body to, for you to obey its passions. Don't let sin reign in you and control you. Christ is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Let Christ's spirit reign. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Okay? So we offer ourselves to God. Again, Romans 4, 5, and 6. Fantastic reading of the scriptures. Enjoy those wonderful, wonderful verses. Now in John's gospel... Boy, between Jeremiah, Romans, and John, you can't hardly get three better readings to read for these uh, several weeks. John chapter 7, 14, I'll just quickly go through these with you. We have Jesus standing up and talking about his teaching. If anyone does God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Chapter 7, verse 17. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true 
and there is no falsehood. So he's justifying his, his um, authority to speak as the son of man. And he's speaking to the people that have problems with what he is saying. In 37 to, in, in chapter 30, uh, 7, 37 to 52, again, rivers of living water. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, verse 37. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit. So again, he's tangling with the chief priests and the Pharisees. And then we move to chapter 8 on Wednesday, where he says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's a very profound statement to say that you're the light of the world. That's an audacious statement unless you can back it up. And of course, we believe he does. And so again, he's having this tete-a-tete with the Pharisees. He's describing who he is. He is doing miracles that John gives us to prove his identity. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are struggling mightily to believe in him. But these words are very profound. Read them slowly. They're very deep. They're very powerful. Um, they're very life-giving. Chapter 8, 12 to 20, and then chapter 8, 21 to 32, the famous verse 32, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Very often quoted. So Jesus is talking again back to the Pharisees, and he is sharing with them the word of God. And we see this through Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, all the way um, as we look at the entire chapter of 8, where he is speaking to these folks, and his response to them is quite critical, it's quite harsh, but it is the truth. You said in verse 40, you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. I'm just telling you the truth, but you want me dead. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. If if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, I am not here. I'm not here on my own accord, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? So in the midst of this conflict, Jesus, in John's gospel particularly, we see that Jesus is sharing some eternal truths with us. So as you're reading through this, I pray that you'll have a blessed Lent and you will enjoy these texts abundantly. See you next week for the Word of God.